The following shiur is presented by Dayan Shlomo Cohen, Dayan in Beddin Ahavat Shalom in Yerushalayim, an author of Pure Money. For more shiurim or information, please visit vshc.org or call 1-844-200-TSHC. That's 1-844-200-8742. This is Rabbi Shlomo Cohen with the shiur on Parshat Vayeshev. This week's Pasha is the Pasha of dreams. The famous dreams of Yosef, the first dream where he sees the haystacks all bowing down to his haystack. And it's the second dream with the stars all bowing down to him. And the prophecy that was um, what was told in these dreams which actually came true and in fact the whole book of Bereshit is full of dreams the first dream we have is the dream of Yaakov when he saw the ladder going up to heaven with the angels going up and down the ladder of course the dreams of this week's Pasha from Yosef as we've just said and then we have the dreams of the Saha Mashkim and the Saha Ofim, the the baker and the uh, the barman. Their two dreams, their their dreams, which also came true after Yosef interpreted them. And then, of course, the final one, the famous dream of Paro, telling of the seven years of famine that were going to come, which ended up in um, Yosef being appointed to look after all of Paro's affairs, which eventually led to the redemption of the whole of the Jewish people from Egypt, from slavery, to freedom, to receiving the Torah in the desert. So what are we supposed to make of all this? It would seem from the whole book of Bereshit, the dreams are a truthful thing, a way of knowing the future. Does that mean we can all now start interpreting our dreams? There are gmarot, explaining all the different types of things a person might see in his dream and how they should be interpreted. So does that mean that it's a Jewish thing? We have Another, other pasukim that tell us, tamim tiyum Hashem elokecha, that we're supposed to go with Hashem, betzmimut. Betzmimut is in purity and simply to be simple, not to be clever, and accept whatever happens, and not look into the future, whether it's in astrology or in dreams. So how really are we supposed to interpret this whole idea of dreams as Jews. The Gemara in Masechet Sanhedrin tells us a case which I'd like to translate it into our language. Someone's father's just died, says the Gemara, and someone is claiming that he gave a deposit to the father. And he's making a claim on the heirs 
that I gave a deposit to your father of a hundred thousand dollars and I want it back. The children, the heirs to the estate have no record of such a deposit. It's just this guy's word. Their father never told them anything and there's nothing written down anywhere. So certainly this guy is going to lose in his claim on the orphans because he can't prove it. But then one of the orphans has a dream, says the Gemara. And he dreams that his father comes to him in the dream and he tells him, my son, if you go to the Swiss bank, there's an account numbered one, two, three, four, five, and it's in my name. And there's a hundred thousand dollars in that account. And all that money is the money that this guy deposited with me. So the guy wakes up and he says, wow, what a dream. He goes to Switzerland, finds the Swiss bank, gives them the number. And yes, there's an account in the name of his father. And how much is in the account? A hundred thousand dollars. So the dream has come true. He's found out where all the money is. And it says, the money is actually in the name of his father. But in the dream he was told that it belongs to this guy that's claiming that he deposited money with your father, with this guy's father. Says the Gemara, even though you can see that this dream seems to be true, nevertheless, it's not proof that the money belongs to this guy that's claiming it and you don't have to give it back to him. You can keep the money. The son, the heirs can keep that $100,000 for themselves and they don't have to give it back to this guy that they were told in the dream that the money belongs to him. Even though we've seen that this dream is a true dream, they would never have found the money if it wasn't for the dream. The dream told them exactly where the money is, right? The Gemara talks about it being buried somewhere and then, and then being told exactly where it was buried, right? Let's say in our times, this is, that's why I compared it to a Swiss bank account with a special number, the number of the account. And it, was, it turned out to be exactly right. So why don't you have to follow the dream to, through completely and give the money back to this guy? The Shulchan Aruch Maran brings this and paskins it as halacha in the Shulchan Aruch, in Choshen Mishpat, that if you have a dream telling you where a certain amount of money is that belonged to your father, and the dream also says that it's a deposit deposited by someone else and you have to give it back to them, you're allowed to take the money for yourself and you don't have to give it back to them. Why? Because maybe that part of the dream is not true. Says the Gemara and says the Shulchan Aruch, Chalomot Shav Yedaberu. Dreams say rubbish. There's always rubbish involved in our dreams. Even though part of it might be a type of prophecy, there's always also bits of rubbish mixed in. And we're not going to be able to identify what's the rubbish and what's the truth. And so certainly you can't prove a case with a dream. You can't prove a case with a dream. 
to extract money from someone, to make someone pay, money that is presumed to be theirs. You can't do that with circumstantial evidence. You can't do that with a dream. You can only do that with strong, solid evidence. By the non-Jews, circumstantial evidence is something that is accepted, even though it has to be very strong. But in Jewish law, there's no such thing as circumstantial evidence. There's no such thing as maybe. The only time a bait did in our times has the authority to make someone pay is where there's definite proof. One of the proofs to this rule is is mentioned in the Shulchan Aruch in another place where we talk about a guy who was mugged in the street. And they stole from him his wallet with thousands of dollars in it. Now, the reason why I said he was mugged in the street is that this is what's called in Hebrew and Jewish law a gazlan. There's a difference. We have two types of thieves in Jewish law, a gazlan and a ganav. A gazlan is someone who comes openly. And the ganav is someone who comes secretly. In the middle of the night, breaks in. Right? The cat burglar breaks in and steals. That's the Ganav, he's afraid of people, doesn't want anyone to see him stealing. But a gazlan is a brazen person who's prepared to grab you in the middle of the street and steal your money. You can see him, you've seen him, you can recognize him. He's not afraid of that. He's a gazlan, he's completely lost all, um, all consciousness. He doesn't care what people think about him anymore. It's interesting that we find that the halakha is that a ganav has to pay back double what he stole. What we call kefil. A gazlan doesn't have to pay back double of what he stole. Let me just stay straight out that in our times a ganav does not pay double, right? Because this is a fine of the Torah and Beidin in our days doesn't have the authority to obligate people to pay fines of the Torah. So kefil is something that is not paid nowadays. Okay? The double payment. But according to strict Torah law, a ganav who still secretly would pay a double payment, he would have to pay a fine, double what he stole, and a gazlan doesn't. Why? So some say that the reason is that a ganav who's stealing secretly, so he at least cares that people won't see him. So he has, does have some shame. And so therefore by giving him a fine, maybe we'll be able to get him back onto the straight, the straight and narrow path, to be honest. By giving him this fine. But the gazlan, who doesn't care if people see him. He's not afraid of anything anymore. He's so brazen. Someone who's got so far. Who's gone so far. Who's fallen so far. That they don't care if even people see them. So there's very little hope for them. It's not going to help to give them that fine. They have to work on getting them to be Jose Betshuva in other ways. So anyway... That's this difference between the two, the Ganav and the Gazlan. So with the Gazlan, you've seen him. You know who he is. You recognize him. So says the, the, the Shulchan Aruch, it starts, of course, in the Gemarot, and the Shulchan Aruch paskens this, that if the Gazlan was a Goy, then you're not going to be Mitzayesh from the thousand dollars that he mugged you for in the middle of the street. 
They're not going to be Mitzayesh. We're not going to go in, we're not going to have time to go into why it makes a difference whether it's Mitzayesh or not Mitzayesh. Mitzayesh means that you give up any hope of ever getting it back. According to many postkim, that means that you've made now the property that was stolen from you ownerless. Um, so that's what Yush means, that someone's given up hope of ever getting it back. So it says the, the, the Gemara, the, the Shulchan Aruch, that if the Gazlan was a Goy, you're not going to be Mitzayesh. We will presume that you are not Mitzayesh. But if the Gazlan was a Jew, then we will presume that you are Mitzayesh. Why is that? Allah, we're talking about where you recognize the person. So if the Gazlan was a non-Jew, you're going to take him to a non-Jewish court. In a non-Jewish court, they'll find him guilty because of circumstantial evidence. Because of his criminal record. Because of the sort of person that he looks like. Circumstantial things can decide the case. Even though there's no definite proof. The judge doesn't look like the look of the guy. He's got criminal eyes. He's got the nose of a thief. Right? All these things are taken into account in a non-Jewish secular court. But in a Jewish court where you're going to take the Gazlan that was a Jew, you have to prove everything with witnesses. It's not enough to say that this guy's got a record, it must have been him. Right? You have to prove things. There has to be 100% proof before you can... Um, before you can find someone, before they can find someone guilty and make them pay back the money. So that would sound that it's a chisaron of a Jewish court, but in fact it's not. A Jewish court realizes that we're not the ultimate judge. The ultimate judge is Hashem. Hashem said to Abed Din, you can judge all the easy cases. Any easy case where there's witnesses and we know that the guy stole, that's for you to judge. But where there's anything that's a bit more complicated, anything that demands a little bit more thinking, that leave to me. You guys can't know that. You guys can't know what really happened. So leave that to me, says Hashem, and I'll judge those cases. The non-Jewish court thinks, thinks that the buck stops here. There's only them. If we don't judge, if we don't decide, no one else will. Because they don't believe in Hashem. They don't believe in Pratit, that Hashem is looking out for everybody and will judge everybody in a totally righteous way. They don't believe that. We do believe that. And so therefore, where, is, where there's not 100% evidence that someone is guilty, we won't find them guilty. And that case will be left for Hashem to judge. The Shulchan Aruch says, in the case, in a, what's called a Din Merumeh, in a case where a Dayan can see that he's being lied to, he can see that people are cheating, trying to cheat him, he can't get to the truth. So he should withdraw from the case and leave the case to Hashem. He's the only one who can know what's going on. Some say that it means leave it to a dime that's bigger than you, that will know what's, what's going on really, can get to the bottom of the case. Others say no, it means that you would give the case over to Hashem, who is the ultimate judge. 
So what are we going to do with this seeming contradiction that we have with dreams? On the one hand, we see from our from our parsha that dreams are something, and on the other hand, we see from the Shulchan Aruch that dreams are to be ignored, and you can't trust the dream. Dreams are certainly a type of prophecy. We find in the work in the writings of the great Rishonim of the previous generations of great rabbis talks of a shelat chalom, of asking things in a dream. That there would be a special way of asking things in a dream. And this is mentioned in the writings of the Rambam. And it's mentioned in the Eben Ezra. It's mentioned in the names of great, great rabbis. Many different great rabbis from different gen- from previous generations. But you would ask questions in a, in a dream and get an answer that you would be able to rely on. But the Sefer Hasidim writes that today we can't do that. Today we've fallen to a much lower level. And we can't do a shelat chalom nowadays. No one's on the level that they're allowed to do that. Some say he doesn't mean that anyone can't do that. Maybe there are some people that could do it. But most people shouldn't be doing it to ask, for example, who should I marry? Or what business should I go into? Things like that. They're not to be asked with a shelat chalom. So it would seem that the place for a dream is to say that it's something to be paid attention to. It's something to be thought about maybe if you have a dream. But you can't take it as being true because halomot shav There's certainly some rubbish mixed up in every dream. And so we in our generation cannot take dreams as proofs of anything. In previous times, we see that in the that in the in the book in the book of Breshit, the dreams are being followed. Being, dreams are being believed, but and that would be more of a type of prophecy than a dream. But the dreams that we have, we can't follow them. We can't be sure that they're all true. There could be bits of it that are true, and there could be bits of it that are not true. And so the, the, the right thing for us to do with dreams is to be conscious of them and to maybe take care about what happened. There's a famous story I heard about a businessman in Vilna who was supposed to be leaving town for a trip on business and he had a dream before he was going away when he was getting prepared for his trip that he was leaving town and he stepped, stepped, stepped on some ice and fell into a river and drowned. So he went and asked the rabbi, should I cancel my trip? He said to him, Nothing. The guy had the same dream the next night. And the rabbi, he asked, I went and asked the rabbi, he said to him again, Go on your trip. He had the dream a third time. Three times he dreamt the dream that he's going to drown when he goes on his business trip. And in the end he went on the business trip and he drowned. So sometimes there is certainly things that you should be careful of when you have a dream. We need to pay attention to a dream. But we can't take it as proof of anything. The whole idea, in fact, of looking into the future, astrology, for example. Right? Where's the Jewish stance on, the, on, a, on, a, on astrology? Does it work or does it not work? 
The Shulchan Aruch says that we're not allowed to ask the people that look at the stars. We're not allowed to ask astrologists about what's going to happen. But the question is, why? The Rambam says that the reason why we don't ask these people is because it's, a, it's also for us to look into the future. It's a type of magic. It's using a type of idol worship. Because the Rambam, Rambam's opinion is that astrology is a type of idol worship. It doesn't work. It's a load of mumbo-jumbo that was invented many years ago and it's just a load of rubbish. That's the opinion of the Rambam. The Ramban, however, disagrees. The Ramban says, no, astrology does work. The way that Hashem runs His world is through the stars. The way the stars are set up, that is the way that the world is governed by Hashem. But not for the Jew. We, the Jews, are above the stars, are above Mazal. Even if the stars say that, you're going to succeed tomorrow in business. You're going to make money, right? Your astrology, your, your astrology uh, column in the newspaper says tomorrow you're going to make money. You might not make money if you don't deserve it. For us, the Jews, astrology doesn't fix what's going to happen. If astrology says that someone might be has Shalom ill, so we can always change that. We can always change that with our good deeds and doing mitzvot and keeping Torah and learning Torah and supporting Torah. We can always change what might happen. We the Jews are above Mazal. We're above the stars. We're above astrology. That's the opinion of the Ramban. So we have two opposite opinions. The Rambam is telling us that astrology is a load of mumbo-jumbo and it really doesn't work. It's an idol worship type of stuff. And the Ramban says, no, it's not. It is true. It does work. People that really know what they're doing can tell the future. But we as Jews should not get involved in it because of the obligation of Tamim to you in Hashem Elokecha, that we should always go with Hashem betmimut, betmimut in purity, simply, a simple people. And on the one hand, accept whatever comes to us. And on the other hand, of course, to pray and do good deeds that we should have good things happening to us, that everything should go well with us. Even if it's decreed in the stars that something bad is supposed to happen, nevertheless, we can change it. We can change everything. That's also maybe a way of understanding for example, the month of Av, which we're told is a, month, is a month of bad luck for the Jews. How can there be such a thing as bad luck for the Jews? How can there be such a thing? We have Hashgachah Pratid. Hashem is looking out for each one of us. How can, it be, how can there be such a thing as a month or a day where it's going to be bad luck for the Jews? The answer is, like the Ramban, maybe. Right? You can have, can have, it does work, but... That doesn't mean it's going to be like it. If we pray well enough, we can have good luck on the ninth of Av. We can have good luck during the month of Av. Right? If we pray and change, we can always change things. In the same way, the opposite way, where it says that the month of Adar 
is a month of good luck. Simcha in Adar. Nevertheless, if we're not up to it, up to the standard, we can change it. Right? And that's the basis of what the Gemara says when the Gemara asks, gives us, when the Gemara gives us careers advice. What is the profess, best profession that a person should teach his children? After going through a number of different professions, the decision is that you should teach him something that's very easy and not worry about how much you can earn in this profession. You're not going to teach him to be a lawyer because lawyers earn good money or teach him to be a brain surgeon because brain surgeons earn good money. Whatever you teach him, there's, there's rich people and there's poor people in every single profession. It's all according to, says the Gemara, Mazal. What do you mean Mazal? It's all according to the stars. It's according to what you make of it. We can change it. We can always change it. You can go into a profession where people don't earn money and you can earn a lot of money, right? You can become a, 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 a sewer cleaner. And in the end, you can become a millionaire sewer cleaner, right? By in the end, starting up your own business of cleaning sewers all over the country. Every, in, any, in anything you do, you can become wealthy. Wealth, becoming wealthy is dependent on mazal. Mazal means it could be like the Ramban, that it's dependent on the stars. But we can always change things, either for the better or for the worse, with the way we act. Some people want to infer from the Shulchan Aruch that he says that the reason we, sh- the reason we shouldn't be looking at the stars is because of Tamim to you. That would seem to imply that it does work, like the Ramban says, and not like the Rambam. It would seem to imply that it does work, but we shouldn't be getting involved in it. Whereas according to the Rambam, it just doesn't work. So if you say that the reason why we shouldn't get involved in looking at the stars is because of Tamim Tiyum Hashem Elokecha, so that infers that it does work. Just we should, as Jews shouldn't get involved in it. Because we as Jews always have to know that we have what's called Ashkacha Pratit. That means that Hashem is looking after each one of us and... He's the one that's going to decide on our own personal merits as to what happens to us in our life. So may we all, Bezat Hashem, merit to have good, only good things happening to us and may Mashiach come be merabi amenu amen. Thank you very much. This audio series has been brought to you by the Sephardic Halakha Center. The center is committed to advancing research and application of halakha in the Sephardic community nationwide. For a halakhic consultation, monetary bedin services, to order this series or to sign up to receive the Sephardic halakha journal, or for all other information, please call 1-844-200-TSHC or email info at the shc.org to subscribe.